Let's pray. Father God, we, we worship you and we praise you for your enormity. That you are far bigger than we can begin to comprehend. Lord God, we praise you for your word given to us. How you want it to be a part of our lives. Help us to understand it. Help us to, to get to know you better through it. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to become discouraged in this Christian walk? They say it takes anywhere between 10 and 100 positive statements to make up for a single negative one that somebody says to you. That's how deeply the negative things in our lives affect who we are and what we do, how greatly they affect our perspective. Sometimes all it takes is one critic or, or one bad situation, and we just say, I, I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. I'm not going to step out into that ministry again. I'm not going to go over there and do that. Maybe for some of us, the situations have built up, and they just made us tired, have made us weary. and We just don't want to fight it anymore. So we choose a back seat. And we just kind of watch this, this gospel thing. We watch this, this church just play out before us as if we're watching a movie, figuring out what each character is going to do as they're doing stuff. As if we are no longer a significant or important part of God's plan. In the book of Acts, the gospel starts out at Pentecost, Right? And it goes out, and, and we have the tongues, the, the Spirit settles on the disciples, and 3,000 people are saved. This is great, isn't it? And not long after that, what happens? The apostles are jailed, brought before the Sanhedrin, and, and threatened not to speak in Jesus' name. Stephen is stoned to death. Talk about a negative. Persecution, families destroyed under Saul. James is killed with the sword, and Peter jailed again. But the gospel goes on, doesn't it? In our passage today, the gospel goes on. In spite of the trials and the hardships that we're going to see they endure here, Paul and his companions continue to intentionally serve the gospel. And they do it with conviction, but not just with conviction, but conviction and joy. We need to understand why and how this happens so that we can then serve the gospel continuously with conviction and with the same joy as it is to know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior undeservedly, beautifully, wonderfully. Go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. 
the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him in Gal from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them in the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and then began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. 
Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The reading of God's Word. As I read this passage, the first thing I noticed was the, the tribulations, the hardships that they went through in sharing the gospel in this first missionary journey, and, and the very personal nature of those tribulations and hardships. First, we have John abandoning them. Verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And that, that word for left them, it could mean abandon. If we look later in the book of Acts, we're going to see that Paul and Barnabas got into an argument even over having John rejoin them. And John obviously left them for poor reasons, and Paul was unwilling to have him come with them again to journey with them because of the abandonment. It's one thing to be left by a stranger, isn't it? But by somebody that you've taken in and, and you saw potential in and, and you valued a friend, a companion in the faith, that same faith of Jesus Christ, then what happens? The Jews contradict the message in their jealousy, reviling Paul. That word for reviling, again, is that word for blaspheme. Verse 45 but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, blaspheming him, saying very nice things about him and how wonderful... No, no. Saying awful things about Paul and who he was. Reviling Paul, not just his message. Being mean, cruel to him and his person. Very personal hardships going on here. And then next, what happens? They incite certain people to stir up persecution that drives Paul and Barnabas out of the city. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas that drove them out of their district. And yet, in spite of all these things that are going on and the very personal nature of this tribulation, this hardship, the gospel moves on via Paul and Barnabas. Verse 51, 52. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, went on to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just move on, but it moves on with joy in spite of the hardships. What's going on here? How does Paul continue to build the church when there is opposition at every turn? from those within, John Mark, and from those outside, trying to shut him down. What struck me as I studied this passage was how Paul seems to see, he does see, everyone as an active part of the gospel picture. 
everyone is a part of God's gospel plan through history. Whether they know it or not. Whether they accept it or not. Paul has a certain perspective on the gospel and God's word here. It's, we often see this book, right? And it, it's a book. And here I am. If I just leave it over there, what does it have to do with me? But in Paul's perspective, it's not the Bible and us. We aren't simply watchers, but we are all participants in gospel history, in that gospel movement. We are all a part of what is going on. And God's word is designed to speak directly to each and every single one of our lives. And it all happens in knowledge or in ignorance. We can know it or we can try to avoid it, but we're all in this by God's hand. From the believer to the non-believer, we are all included in God's timeline, God's plan. We cannot dissociate ourselves from the words of the Bible. We cannot dissociate ourselves from the body of Christ. That gospel message as the very words of Scripture and the things that God desires to accomplish through them are intimately woven into the very fabric of our being. I want us to understand this morning just how closely the word associates with you and me very personally. And it's, it's this perspective that gives Paul and his companions a strength of heart and mind to, to continue on with joy because he knows God's word, God is in control, and God has a plan that reaches into every single life. Paul begins his teaching by, by telling them, listen, verse 16, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. God has a plan. And and it started way back with our early forefathers. God has been working through history, through prophecy, and by his will in all of their lives. God chose Israel. God made them great. God led them out of Egypt. God put up with them patiently as they wandered through the wilderness. God destroyed the nations before them, and God gave Israel the land as an inheritance. God gave them judges, God gave them a king, and God raised up David. God has been working in history. Paul has described to us that how God has described to us in his word how his hand has been present in history. From times past how he worked through the lives of their forefathers, how he prophesied through those forefathers to them of a Savior. But it's not just history past. But but God has been working to bring them to this point as he continues to work through his word in their own lives. 
God's word has not ceased being applicable to their lives intentionally and directly. It's, it's not just a history book or some outdated morality. But the words of God are something we need to very much pay attention to and understand. Paul tells them that God fulfills his promises. As God has worked through history, he fulfills his promises to this day. There are current events, he says to them, right here that have happened among you, things that you yourselves know about that show God's hand at work today. Right there amongst them. He says, there are those in this world today who have fulfilled God's prophecies. Verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem, who live in Jerusalem, they're still there. And their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. All of these current events, all these things that have happened among you and you know about them, maybe even some of you were there when it happened, they are a reflection. They are a fulfillment of God's word in passages like Psalm 22. If you want to jot that one down and read it later. Isaiah 53. Very clear prophecies of things that they had seen done right there amongst them. We are all in God's historical narrative. We are here in God's plan. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Through the lineage of David, God has brought a Savior just as he promised he would. Verse 23. Of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. He said he would do this, and that's just what he did. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, God says to David... And you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God promises God fulfills, and he did that right there at that time amongst them. Here in our passage, Paul refers to some of the Psalms, starting at verse 32. He says, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way, I give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had seen the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. These things, these events have come to pass in Jesus Christ. What God has said, God has done. 
and, it, it, and, it, and it's here, and it's now. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. It's here. It's now. The message has come. The prophecies have been fulfilled. And so he says in verse 40, he says, Beware. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. If all this is happening in accord with God's word, if you know these events have happened amongst you and you've seen these prophecies fulfilled, beware. Because here's another prophecy for you, and it's straight out of Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look, verse 41. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And Paul says, don't be ignorant of this prophecy from Habakkuk. Don't be ignorant of it and thus fulfill it the same way that those in Jerusalem fulfilled everything about Jesus Christ out of their own ignorance because they didn't understand the Scriptures. This prophecy, Paul says to them, this one right here, from Habakkuk, speaks directly to you guys. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And yet, here they go, and they fulfill it right here in our passage. Verses 44 to 45, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Verses 49 and 50, And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men in the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. In ignorance, in, in a chosen ignorance of God's word, they still find themselves to be a part of God's gospel plan in history, don't they? God's word is still applicable to them. No matter how far they might step away from it, no matter how much they might turn their faces from it, it still applies to them. Because God's plan applies to us whether we want it to or not. Because God's word is part and parcel with the history of creation. Because it is God himself who created everything and everyone in it we are a wonderful part of that creation aren't we made by god in his image and for his purposes paul himself in this passage i, I can just imagine in in the Wayback machine god even as a god knit together paul in his mother's womb and God's putting him together, and he says, you know, I know what you're going to do, my son. But just remember what I said through the prophet Isaiah about you. And God's saying the words, 
of Isaiah. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant and raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And that prophecy from Isaiah 49 is exactly what Paul speaks about himself. He says to them, God's word written so long ago, it applies directly to me. In verse 47, he says, For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's from Isaiah. Paul recognized that at this time of his life, these words spoken by the prophet Isaiah 800 years earlier were written about him. God's word was designed to be an intimate part of his life. And he, Paul, was a personal part of God's plan for gospel history, for history in general, because God made it all, and God has knit it all together. God's plan, his timeline, his salvation story has worked through history from the forefathers of the Jews through those people in Jerusalem who fulfilled God's word through the people here with Paul and Barnabas who fulfilled God's word in ignorance through Paul and Barnabas themselves as God's word applies directly to their lives God's word applied directly to all of them and worked itself out through them and Paul understood this. That's why he says things like, let it be known. Listen. Beware. So the Lord commanded. He wants them to know how God's word works and how, how it, it really should take root in their lives. And it's going to happen around them, even if they don't want to take part in it. Whatever should happen around Paul, Paul knew that he was in God's hand, in God's plan, in God's history, secured by the perfect, promised, fulfilled salvation that comes through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and in Christ alone, just as God's Word declares. And so with confidence, in spite of trial, he could shake the dust off his feet and move on with joy, knowing that God's word will never fail. God's word will always prevail. It will come back having accomplished everything that God has sent it to do. Even the trials were evidence that God is always right and his word will come to pass. And his word is very, very, very personal, applying directly to him and to those around him. And let's think about it for a second. God's word applied directly to them in the past and to, to those people there in Antioch, Pisidia, and to Paul and to Barnabas, 
God's word applies directly to this day, for God is not finished yet. It applies directly to me. And it applies directly to each and every single one of us here in this room and every single person not here in this room. We are all in God's world. This is my Father's world, not mine. God's plan involves you. You are not missed or forgotten by God. And your life cannot be separated from the words in this book. It applies to us and is, is knit to us either in ignorance or in knowledge. Whether we want to avoid it or whether we want to dig into it, it still applies to us, every single person. Wouldn't it make sense then to know it so that we don't end up fulfilling it in ignorance? Wouldn't it make sense to know where and how we fit into God's word, how it applies directly to our lives? Paul began his sermon here by, by, at the choosing of Israel, right? But let's go a little, back, a little bit further back. God's plan goes back to before the foundations of the earth. And it's not just a general one, but one that is specific to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The same thought is given to us in verse 48 of our passage here today. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is because God knew your name and had you in his hand from before the foundations of the earth before the beginning of time. You are fulfillment of God's word to Abraham that in, in him all the families of the earth would be blessed as we come from such varied cultures and places, don't we? The people in this room alone express a global outreach of God's word. If we look back in our family histories, how we got to be right here. You are a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 5. says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
being called and adopted into the family of God, we then need to know how the rest of this book, how the rest of Scripture applies to our lives. We have so many passages that that apply. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That applies to us, every single one of us. Philippians chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, that's rhetorical, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That applies to me and you, all of us. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Bet you didn't see this one coming. Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's us called to be witnesses of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that salvation, that eternal life that we have. We're called to give it, to reach out, tell others about it. Let's back that up. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That applies to every single one of us. God's word applies to us. He has woven it into history. Just as he has woven us into history. We cannot separate ourselves from God's word any more than we can remove ourselves from history. We're here in our Father's world, and his word applies directly to every single one of us. Will we know it and apply it? Or have it applied to us in ignorance? And if I want to know it and apply it and really serve the Lord, how then, am I, how then am I striving to serve God as I know his word? If I know the call to share the gospel in my soil, in my sphere of influence lives, how then am I doing it? Or am I choosing in my knowledge to be ignorant of it? How am I applying it? God's word in my life, in this church body, in my community, in my soil, at work, at school. How am I doing it? And like Paul, let us take up a certain confidence and an assurance that comes with knowing God's word. Knowing that God fulfills his word. If he says he will give us anything we need to accomplish his will here on earth, he will give us anything we need to accomplish his will here on earth. He will give us the strength we need. He will give us the confidence we need. He will give us the words we need when we don't think we have them. Because he is God. We are his. Let us know that we are a part of his plan and we don't need to be an ignorant part of it. He's given us his word. 
that we would study it and know it for what it says in its context through each genre with a good hermeneutic. If you don't know any of those words, come and ask me. But that's how we need to study God's word. Because if we don't, we might end up like the guy who says, Dear God, what is your will for me today? And we, Judas hung himself. Uh-oh. Right? No, we don't want to misapply God's word, right? Know it, study it, learn it for what it says. Apply it to our lives that we might affect those around us for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you carry us forward. Help us to understand that your word is not separate from our lives and who we are and your plan. Lord, it describes to us a plan that we are a part of. Lord, help us to to apply it to our lives in knowledge. And Lord, help us to, to share that with others that they too would have that opportunity that they wouldn't have God's word, your word, applied to them in ignorance. But Father, we would help them to know what we know, the salvation that we know, the eternal life that we have, that you have given us and you've opened our eyes to. Lord, we praise you for that gift. Help us to be tools in your hand here at Alden Union Church. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.